Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Kate Jinks. And I'm Brody Lancaster. And we're back doing another Poodle episode, which is it's the longest time coming. It may precede this podcast, in fact, <laughs> the idea to talk about Claudia Wilde's 1978 film Girlfriends. Yeah, I mean, this is – and if you haven't listened to our other Poodles, a Poodle episode is when we – uh, dig deep into just one film. Of course, when we talk about just one film, there are about, I don't know, like 80 see also's as well, because we find it hard to stay completely on topic and uh, cannot resist recommending other things all the time. But yeah, Girlfriends is this film that BL, you and I have been so obsessed with for so long. Uh, it's like in our DNA that it felt almost too much of a cliche for us to do a poodle about it. Like we would, we would constantly like, oh yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to it. Yeah. It's almost like it was too obvious. Um, and so we kept thinking of other films, every poodle that has come before, it's like, it's too, it's too obvious to do girlfriends. We've both got t-shirts from the film Girlfriends. You've got artwork in your house. It's too like, obvious and yet here we are. And we here couldn't. we are stating the obvious. We love girlfriends. We love girlfriends. <laughs> okay, BL, you mentioned that Girlfriends by Claudia Weil came out in 1978. It stars the incredible Melanie Mayron as Susan Weinblatt. She's a photographer, like a up-and-coming photographers, shall we say. She's doing bar mitzvahs, she's doing weddings, but she has her sights on being 
like a real kind of visual artist. That's what she wants to do. Yeah, if she were doing it now, the internet would call her an emerging creative. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I don't want a Girlfriends reboot. No, never. I don't want it. No. Oh, God, no. Uh, I'm already going off top, but have you seen that there's like a pink ladies like TV show? Yeah, I did. I opened Paramount Plus yesterday to watch um, Yellow Jackets, my least favorite show on earth, and I saw that there's a like, yeah, getting to know the pink ladies or whatever it's fucking called. I was like, I don't think well, the world needs it. Well, the world doesn't need a girlfriend's TV show either. Anyway, so Susan Weinblatt, emerging creative. <laughs> In late seventies, New York, she lives thirty under thirty. Oh God, no! (laughs) She lives with her best friend Anne, uh, who's played by Anita Skinner, uh, and you know they're best friends. They move into this beautiful apartment, but Anne has this extremely boring, according to Susan, boyfriend uh, Martin, who's played by Bob Balaban, and their relationship becomes quite serious quite quickly and Anne moves out much to uh much to the sadness and horror of Susan who now not only has to just like cover the rent herself but she's also dealing with the uh loss of this friendship it's like this kind of grieving that she goes through of um you know of like her best friend moving out and having this whole other life this like very adult life that she doesn't have just yet. Yeah, and it's not just that Anne moves out. They get married, they have a baby, they move to, like, a house in the country quite quickly. They live in, like, upstate New York, right? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. the picture I get. Um, And so Anne goes from being Susan's best friend to being someone else's wife really quickly. Um, Anne is also trying to um, be a writer, and so they have these, like, kind of shared creative pursuits at the beginning of the film. We don't get like a montage of their college years or like any exposition about how deep their friendship is. You can just kind of feel it because Anne wants Susan's opinion on a piece she's written and Susan photographs Anne for her, you know, more artistic work. She makes her money shooting bar mitzvahs and weddings and things like that. But um, the, the more personal emerging creative artwork that she does often features Anne. Um, She complains about Martin as well and, you know, tries to reason with Anne and says things like, how can you love someone who doesn't know you? Um, And then all of a sudden they're married. And so Mm. there's also that, that underlying feeling that I know a lot of women have, which is when your friend gets serious with someone you've complained about. Um, And so there's kind of an immediate distance in place, in a place where there used to be like so much intimacy. Yeah. I, we've all been there, right? Oh, we have all been there. Yeah. (laughs) I feel capital S seen by this film. I, I think we need to just make that the headline. I was like, is there anyone listening who I've been like complained about your partner? I'm sorry if I have. Apologies. 
Yeah, every time I talk about how much I relate to Susan in this film, I just want to say I'm not subtweeting my friends who are settling down <laughs> or buying property or getting married or having babies. It's just a universal feeling that Claudia Wilde has really captured with um, co-writer Vicky Pollan, who uh, wrote the film with her. Can we just talk about Vicky Pollan for a second? I say I'm obsessed with this film, but I actually never clocked that it was not fully written by Claudia Weil. I always, because it's always like Claudia Weil's girlfriends, yeah. 1978. But uh, it was co-written with Vicky Poland and she didn't do much else, uh, very sadly, but she did uh, write the film Mr. Wonderful, which I have not seen since like the 90s. It stars um, Matt Dillon, Annabella Ciora and Mary Louise Parker. And it's about, I think it's like Matt Dillon and Annabella Ciora are married. They are divorced. He doesn't want to have to pay alimony payments to her anymore. So he starts setting her up with uh, different like suitors so, to try to, to get her married off so he doesn't have to keep paying her. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, which has kind of a girlfriend's feel to it. And after, like, being reminded of that, I'm like, <laughs> see also to myself to rewatch Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, well, I don't know if I've ever heard of Mr. Wonderful. And if I have, that's not what I would have <laughs> would have imagined. Um, and it's, it's yeah. Well, maybe she's married to William Hurd in it and Matt Dillon is... Oh, anyway, whatever. This Okay, now I'm interested. William Hurt, <laughs> Dreamboat. <laughs> So as after Anne moves out, we kind of follow Susan in the film as she she's listless. She's class. She's a, she's a millennial before there were millennials. You know, she's <laughs> she's trying to get her art shown in galleries all the while still photographing weddings, bar mitzvahs with a very sweet, attentive, close rabbi played by Eli Wallach. Um, she goes and visits Anne every now and then and Bob Balaban, who plays her husband, as you mentioned. And along the way, Susan meets a man played by <laughs> the one and only Christopher Guest. He's so young in this. He's so young. He's so, Kate, he's the sexiest man <laughs> to have ever been captured on film. I don't know. What's his character's name? Oh, his character's name is Eric. Eric, don't even care. He's so hot. Christopher Guest, literal Corky St. Clair, with this curly mop of brown hair. He wears, like, little scarves around his neck, pre-Jamie Lee Curtis, pre-every Christopher Guest movie. He's not yet an auteur. He's just a friggin' hunk. (laughs) <laughs> I um I read one uh, Guardian um, review of when this came out, like Criterion re-released it, and Peter Bradshaw actually reviewed it, and he described the character as preening, and I thought that's spot on. Yeah, he's the kind of boyfriend who like wants you around all the time, but then as we see when Anne invites them upstate to visit. He makes Susan late and then when she's finally like, stop curling your hair in the mirror, we've got to go. He's like, I don't think I'm going to go. I want to stay home and watch the football game. Um, so he's a jerk. He's a fuck boy. Um, yeah. I don't know why I keep dropping like modern phrases into <laughs> girl, like, like butchering girlfriends. But yeah, he's an absolute fuck boy and he's so fine. Yeah, he's a fuck boy with a beautiful apartment on Broom Street yeah. in Manhattan. Like, come on. 
Like he gives out his address at one point and I was like, what? Oh my God. Yeah. Stay with him. Wearing double denim, natural curls. Ugh. Love it. Love it. All right. We'll get into like characters and scenes, etc., that we love, I'm sure. But uh, BL, I remember you first seeing this film and having like quite a big reaction to it, so much so that you wrote about it. Yeah, it played at MIF, the Melbourne Film Festival, in 2016 in a stream called Gaining Ground, which was all, I believe, female filmmakers from the 70s and 80s. Um, this was pre your years at MIF, Jinxies, so um, I can't cross-check that with you. Um, unless you were, were you there that year? Uh, this is before my time. Yeah. Um, but were I, you at the screening? Were you there at the screening? No. I wasn't at the, I went to see a whole bunch of other films in the program, but I had seen, I'd already seen Girlfriend. Yeah. So I, I watched some other things. Sure. And I, I went to see it with my friend Sinead. We walked out and stood on the street, um, outside the Kino cinema on Collins street. And I was furious. I remember like madly smoking a cigarette and just being like, how? am I 26? And this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I'd never even heard of it before the Myth program came out that year. I was, I was furious because I was like, this movie already means so much to me after one viewing of it. Um, and I was just deeply grateful for that stream of films and so resentful that it took that long for me, this like retrospective for me to be aware of this, this movie. Um, yeah, I was deep in writing my manuscript that year for my like essay collection that came out in 2017. And I remember the following year, my book was about to come out and I was like doing quote unquote, like book tour, AKA went to Sydney a couple of times. Um, and I was in a hotel and propped up my laptop in the bathtub and watched it again. And I wrote a piece for the guardian about how much the film meant to me. I'll link it in the show notes and the commenters really hated it and hated me. One of them was like, hope this isn't meant to sell any copies. Um, oh, my God. I mean, classic Guardian, everything I've ever written for the Guardian has oh had God. some real interesting real, people in the comments. Real pearlers. I love the one commenter who said, the way women can find detail in some movies and soapies amazes me. So high praise. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. I remember reading it and being, I remember we weren't, you know, terribly close back then. And uh, I thought it was a great piece. Thank and you. yeah, and I, I really knew what you meant when I read it. So mm. it's like, yeah, I felt exactly the same way when I first saw it. And I'm sure that that is how like most people, like most women feel mm. perhaps, um, emerging creatives at least. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've screened it at Golden Age a couple of times, but do you remember the first time you saw it? You know, no, I actually don't. I remember seeing a really, I remember just like reading about it for so long. Like it was so many people had sort of mentioned it. Um, I think actually I saw it because I saw the film, the incredible Barbara Loden film, Wanda. And uh, I remember reading up about that film and in like someone had mentioned this film with it. They're very different titles, but they're, both very beautiful American films made in the 70s by women. Um, and Wonder is one of my favourite films. But, yeah, and then 
I saw it, like I had a bootleg copy or something, and then I didn't see it again until it landed on Filmstruck, which was the streaming service between Turner Classic Movies and uh, Criterion before the Criterion channel existed. And I remember just being like, wow, finally, thank God, I get to see this film again because it had become just kind of a weird memory. Mm. Like did that film exist kind of thing. And it's always mentioned in the context of like big names who are inspired by it and Stanley Kubrick always comes up as if like you need uh. the Stanley Kubrick co-sign to like think yeah. this film is is valuable, you know, but he is very full of praise for it. It's pretty great. Um, I actually read the full interview with him where he mentions it, which we can link to in the show notes. Um, so Kubrick was, you know, interviewed in 1980 and uh, he said, I think one of the most interesting Hollywood films, well, not Hollywood, American films that I've seen in a long time is Claudia Wilde's Girlfriend. But then he, it's like a kind of like a backhanded compliment in a way. It's like that film I thought was one of the very rare American films that I would compare with the serious, intelligent, sensitive writing and filmmaking that you find in the best directors in Europe. You're like... <laughs> yeah, I get I get it. I get it, Stan, but you know, I get it, Stan. <laughs> I think Stan gets it. Um Yeah, he said Danny K, Danny K gets it. <laughs> what when was that um that interview from? Do you say the eighties? From nineteen eighty, so just okay. a couple of years after. And um I guess I mean he would have seen this film I mean it made a much bigger splash in Europe than it did in America. With their um, sensitive sensibilities over there. I mean, intelligence. It's, in- and- <laughs> <laughs> it's intelligent, it's sensitive. Um, and it is, it is all of those things. Um, but he also said it seemed to make no compromise to the inner truth of the story, you know, the theme and everything else. And I do very much agree with that. I mean, you watch it and it's kind of like, it takes me to a few like Eric Romer films or something, I guess. Um, not to be all European and sensitive and intelligent about it, but it actually competed at Cannes uh, in 1978 in Director's Fortnight. Uh, I think that was like the first year that there was the um, like major prizes were introduced um, to Cannes that year. So it was like a stacked year and it's kind of amazing that that was there in the director's fortnight. Melanie Marin won the Bronze Leopard for Best Actress at Locarno. She was nominated for Best Actress at the British Film Festival. Um, oh, yeah, it was the first year of the uh, Uncertain Regard and uh, the Camera Door at Cannes that year. Mm. So massive, massive year. Mm. Um, and the actual first screening, yeah, was at Rotterdam. Like it's, it is one of those American films that, you know, had to go to, had to go to Europe. It's like I've seen it recently with mm. a couple of Australian titles that have to go to America before anyone cares about them back home, you know. Like mm. it's such a – who knew that America had the same cultural cringe in a way that we do? <laughs> it's just like a Triple J band who goes and plays <laughs> South by. I watched this great little interview with um, Claudia Wilde that's on YouTube. I'll link in the show notes again where she talks about that first screening at Cannes and how – the audiences were laughing and she started to take offense to it. She was like, like, what are you laughing at? And then, and cause she was so deep in the making of the film that she came out and finally had an audience who were appreciating what she had made in the tone of the film. And 
she remembered that she had made a comedy like it had been she was so deep in it that she needed that yeah yeah that external validation i've seen that interview it's so good yeah it's from um 78 and it's just like on this sort of kind of random tv show like i couldn't really get it's like not a big show i don't really know it um but yeah it's such a good in-depth interview i thought it was really great but yeah you mentioned Mm. that it was hard to finish it took three years like almost three years to finish because um they had such a low budget they had like eighty thousand dollars that ran Mm. out relatively quickly so it started um shooting in 75 but it didn't get released until 78. Mm. I watched um the you mentioned Turner Classic Movies before and there's like a little clip on YouTube it's got like a hundred views or something it's Ben Mankiewicz on Turner Classic Movies like introducing girlfriends um as part of a series on quote movies with Jewish characters front and center (laughs) and he talks about um how at the time that it was um, like before it was made, um, he gives a bit of backstory on Claudia Weil, who made a short called Joyce at 34, which I now need to watch. Have you ever seen Never it? Never seen it. No. No. All right. Let's track it down. Apparently Shirley MacLaine saw it, was working on a, uh, documentary about a, like a women's envoy to China, needed someone to work on it with her, hired, um, Claudia Weil who made this documentary, which then got nominated for an Oscar. So Claudia Wilde, like, got all the funding for Girlfriends as this Academy Award nominee. Um, And then when it came to be released, apparently studios were all of a sudden interested. She, She thought it would be a little independent film. But then because Annie Hall had come out the year before, apparently, um, the success of that had like quote made people interested in like intimate relationships in Manhattan. Um, and so like it's, re- it, it got more of a release, but then at the time of the release, like it's just one thing after a fucking another, like at the time of the release, there was a newspaper strike. And so it got no publicity. And so <laughs> apparently the weekend that it was out in cinemas, Claudia Weil, Eli Wallach, and Melanie Mayron stood outside cinemas in New York, like spruiking it to get like real people off the street to come and see their movie, which kind of made it feel like an independent film, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so they kind of, you know, without the Annie Hall uh, reference, they kind of got their their independent release after all. Well, I guess in modern terms, they should have had a street team. <laughs> Put up some stickers. <laughs> some QR codes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing this to go. Sorry, Claudia. Um, we've mentioned um, Turner Classic Movies a few times. One of my uh, very favourite times that I saw this film was uh, with Millie DiCirico, a very old friend who was very integral at Turner Classic Movies for a long time, with especially with uh, TCM Underground and also Filmstruck. But... Yeah, a few years ago I was visiting LA and we went to a double at the New Beverly of um, like Tarantino's cinema that only plays film and it was an amazing double of Girlfriends and uh, the 1980 Claudia Weil film It's My Turn which stars Jill Clayburgh and Michael Douglas and it is and Charles Grodin. It is such a great film. I really loved it, um, but I've never been able to see it again. I think that's going to be an eBay DVD. But Millie and I had seen Girlfriends like a, a bunch of times and had talked about it, 
But the guy who got up and introduced the session was like, hey, is anyone here seeing girlfriends? And then, like, obviously, like, Millie and I are looking at each other. But before anyone can, like, put their hand up or whatever, he's like, no, of course not, because it's a totally lost movie. Like, and we were like, no, dude. Ooh, we've whoa. <laughs> Settle down. I remember we were both just like... And that man was Quentin Tarantino. Oh my god, yeah, can you imagine? I just remember us being like, fuck this guy. Like, why do they have this guy yeah. doing this thing? Anyway, um, extra shout out to Millie. She's got an incredible podcast with Danielle Henderson called I Saw What You Did, which is uh, about films. They both watch a film and then tell each other about it every episode. It's really fantastic. But yeah, I just remember being like... Dude, you know nothing. You know nothing about me. You don't know me. And also, you don't know the fucking movies you're about to introduce. No, it was really odd. Anyway, but it was it was really fantastic to see this, like, beautiful old print, like, real print of it. It was, yeah, really, mm. really fab. But I'll watch it any way I can, this film. And it is hard to see now in Australia, at least. Yeah, I was about to say, Girlfriends is tricky to watch in Australia unless you have one of those under the radar criterion logins or VPNs or whatever. It's um, not even on the criterion channel anymore. Is it not? No, Fuck. they took it down. I guess it's, you know, it'll come back around yeah. on another cycle, but yeah. Yeah. Prepping for some future release or something. But um, yeah, I watched it years ago on YouTube movies. It was available. Um, but this time I had to find it by, underground means but at the same time i went on ebay and there are many many dvd copies so i bought one of those for for my future self yeah criterion did a blu-ray of it as well like they're around i know that a few libraries have them in australia like um uh, like libraries attached to film schools in particular yeah i mean like internationally you can see it quite easily but in australia it's another one of those things where you're like why make it harder why make it harder yeah, everything is so inaccessible. Ugh, except for our podcast. <laughs> Just listen to this. You don't need the movie. <laughs> Girlfriends, it's us. <laughs> All right, we've talked about how the film came to be, how we first saw it, how we love it, etc. Um, but I don't know. Should we talk about like some favorite scenes or moments or how do you want to do this, BL? Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about Ceci Cecile, Cecilia, Seal. Seal. A, a character who pop, who pops up. Um, she emerges as a hitchhiker. She gets in uh, Susan's car and instead of just sending her on her way, Susan goes, here's a new friend for me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
and moves this little dancer who looks about 15 into her apartment. I completely forgot about this character until my most recent viewing to prepare to talk about it. And I wrote myself a note to ask you about how you feel about Cecilia, because I was like, I don't get what Cecilia is doing here. And the more I thought about it, the more I got it. But um, how do you feel about Cecilia and her role in the film? She's really an interesting character. I feel like she is this like other version of a friend that um, Susan could have and that she is just so, so completely different to Anne, except that she looks slightly like her. Um, <laughs> it's like a little Barbie and Skipper or something. <laughs> yeah, totally. Don't, yeah, you're so right. Um, but, yeah, she's this like weird, softly spoken, very clingy, like gay young woman um, who – like at one night when Susan is really happy um, and she comes home, she's had like a really sweet interlude with the rabbi and she comes home and she's so happy and she's like, I've danced to tango tonight. And But Seal just like gets out of bed and she's completely nude and she puts his like long shirt over herself but doesn't button it up in any way. <laughs> Yeah, she's bush out greeting her roommate. <laughs> she is totally bush out. And and then she kind of comes on to Susan and Susan handles it in such a sweet way. She's just like, oh, no, Anne was my friend and roommate, like not my lover, and mm. just sort of leaves it at that and Seal kind of gets the point. Um, but yeah, Seal deals with rejection very well. Like she invites Susan to come to many dances and classes and boring shit with her and Susan always makes up excuses and says she doesn't want to go in many different ways mm -hmm. and Seal just keeps on asking Susan tells her to move out and she's like I thought I thought uh I did everything you wanted or whatever yeah. and she's just she takes it all in stride I guess that's what happens if you're just a lifelong hitchhiker well yeah I think that the character of Seal is essentially a lesbian tumbleweed. Um, she just sort of blows in, blows out, and that's about it. And I think that she's there to show these kinds of – that Susan's friendship with Anne was intimate and deep and yeah. can't be replaced very easily. Totally. It's but we've all had housemates like that. If you've lived in a share house, you have had those weird tumbleweeds come through oh. where you're like, I don't want to – no, I'm not going to a dance class with you. Quite literally people doing yoga in the living room or, yeah, hanging up their stockings in the kitchen. It's happened to the best of us. I I've never a... been greeted bush out, though. No, I, I did have a roommate who had pet rats once. Um, oh, that's no good. That was kind of Seal vibes. Um, yeah, that that's where I got to as well with, with Seal. Like she's a representation that like that closeness, yeah, like you said, isn't replaceable. But also she's kind of sweet and fine. And then Anne comes over to visit and she points out things about Seal. Like, oh, you clean up after her or, oh, she leaves her clothes lying around. And as soon as Susan kind of sees it through Anne's eyes everything about seal that was fine before starts being annoying yeah um and that she's out at that point like <laughs> not physically yet but emotionally susan's like i can't have you around anymore now that i've seen how Anne sees you yeah she's a really interesting actress too um who plays seal um she has only been in a, like she hasn't been in a lot of things but i think she's sort of like this 
character actress who like hasn't had her due basically, mm. but she is in a film that uh, is you know a C also, which we've brought up before, Crossing Delancey um, by Joan Micklin Silver from uh, nineteen eighty eight. So it's ten years after, which is also about like. A young woman, a young Jewish woman in uh, Manhattan trying to kind of deal with romance in the city and the, uh, yeah, basically adulthood, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I love that movie. It just makes me want to watch it again every time I talk about it. But, yeah, Seal's in that, the character, the actress who plays Seal. (laughs) Yeah, she's got a very interesting little face. There are some very brief little side characters who pop up who really – remind you that it's a comedy like um uh Susan eventually gets a show at a gallery and the gallerist whose name is Beatrice and her assistant Charlie um are for no explainable reason both wearing neck braces (laughs) I I love it it's so good (laughs) the fact that it's not mentioned and he's just like lighting women's cigarettes for them I was like this is a perfect movie (laughs) <laughs> it's really great. Oh, God, I love it when uh, Susan finds out that she's in a show and she comes home and she's like, I don't have to do bar mitzvahs anymore. <laughs> I know she quits all her reliable, well-paying work because she has one art show. It's so irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> it's so irresponsible. And, like, even in the 70s in Soho, that didn't fly, you know? <laughs> yeah, girl, you still got rent to pay. Um <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Bob Balaban. Sure. (laughs) Bob Balaban playing Anne's husband is so perfect in his small little performance of an annoying man who his wife's friend doesn't want around. Mm -hmm. It's so incredible. The first time we see him, they've already gotten married. They've been on Honeymoon. They've been on Honeymoon. They've been on their Honeymoon. They've been on Lana Del Rey's Instagram account at Honeymoon. (laughs) And... (laughs) They're back. Susan's like hanging out with them after watching their slides of their tourist photos from Morocco. And he's doing those little things like correcting her about where the photos were taken. And um, Anne gets up and leaves the room and leaves the two of them together. And you can tell that Susan's like, oh, no, I'm not here to hang out with him. (laughs) But then as they're clicking through, there's photos of them each naked that they've just left in the slideshow for poor Susan to have to fucking endure. (laughs) Yeah, along with a shirt that they've brought her back. Oh, what a treat. But, yeah, she goes over and stays the weekend. She's a good sport. Susan's a really fucking good sport. The whole film, she's a good sport. She She really is. Yeah, that's like she is just such an incredible, affable character, but not in a, like... You're not going to walk all over it. She's, like, incredibly idiosyncratic. She's really smart. She's incredibly funny, even though the first actual joke she tells in the movie is so terrible. <laughs> what is it? It's a what's green and flies over Poland. Peter Pansky. <laughs> she knows her audience. She's going to make the bar the boy laugh. <laughs> yeah, she does. It's very cute. Um, yeah, she's, su- she's such a good sport, but she, there is that kind of like tight lippedness about like Anne would be able to tell her very close friend is not being fully herself around her husband, which again, a very familiar story of friendships and 
the men who arrive and are part of, you know, one of the women's lives. Yeah. Um, he's practicing his Italian one weekend and just won't stop in a way that starts be like at the start, it's like very sweet and charming. And you're like, Oh, this is what life with Martin's like. And then as they're sitting down to eat and he just is manja, manja, <laughs> and then falls into a sneezing fit. I'm like, get out of there, Suze, go back to the city. <laughs> Oh, I know. And like when uh, Anne tells Susan like how serious their relationship is for the first time and she's like, I think maybe I almost might love him. <laughs> you're like, it doesn't sort of get better from there, unfortunately, for Anne. Yeah, Martin doesn't inspire like fits of passion. No, I mean, I guess, I mean, they took those nude photos on holidays, but who knows? They weren't uh, together in the nude photos. It was just him, like, having a shower and her on, like, on all fours. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, and also, but the thing is, like, with, even with that photo, like, that sort of supposed intimacy between couples taking nude photos of each other, um, it starts off, like, the very first scene is Susan taking these incredibly beautiful photos of Anne lying in bed, uh, like, very kind of early dappled light coming through and they're just the most gorgeous photographs. They're so beautiful and, like, that is the real intimacy there, you know? Mm, you're so right. She's so Nan Golden in that moment. She's so Nan Golden in that moment. <laughs> She's so Ballad of Sexual Dependency. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Nan. Um, have you seen, speaking of Nan, just very briefly here, uh, Ballad of Sexual Dependency is coming to Canberra in July. Mm, there we go. Chic. Road trip. Go. Road trip. Mm. Anyway. Hope they get a local small beanie wearing DJ to play <laughs> at the top of the slideshow. <laughs> I wonder if Nan will come. Let's start a petition. I don't yeah. know. How do we do it? Change.org. Get out and not talk to Fran Lebowitz. He'll tell her, don't fly to Australia. You can't smoke yeah. ciggies the whole way. We talked about how the actress who plays Seal hasn't been in, you know, too many other things, but she was in Crossing Delancey. But I was really surprised to find that Anita Skinner, who plays Anne, is in only one other film, which was an 80s horror film called Soul Survivor, where she is the sole survivor of a plane crash and then becomes, like, haunted by the people who died who, in the crash who keep coming to try and collect her to take her beyond the grave. I've never seen it, but, you know, it looks kind of chic. It doesn't look chic? Yeah, the outfits look really good. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's seek it out. A I little think Anita should. Skinner double feature. Yep. Uh, it's very Yellow Jackets in that way, I suppose. It really sounds it, which is not appealing to me. Um, <laughs> that's a shame because she's such a great actress. She's so good in this. She's really good in this. Um, she does like a pained look like almost no other actress, I would say. It's yeah. very good. Her hair transformation as well when she goes from kind of like single writer, roommate girl in the city to housewife, mother with a home, trying to fit her writing in the brief silences in the very early mornings, clacking away on her typewriter, and she's got this perfectly coiffed hair. 
Um, it's a transformation. I'm so glad, though, that uh, the character of Susan never fully gets a transformation, that she is Susan Weinblatt through and through. Uh, she, like, doesn't change because she doesn't need to. She's just herself and she's perfect. Um, Everyone wants to kiss her. Everybody wants to kiss her. I want to kiss her. I get why Seal wants to kiss why her. Why wouldn't you? She has a perfect face. Melanie Marin has a perfect face. She has this incredibly goofy face in this and this big hair that she kind of can't really control and doesn't really want to. She's just like schlepping around Manhattan in her like tall boots and her many scarves and like lots of mix of like corduroy denim um, and knitwear. It's divine. There's a bit of velvet in there. I love it. It's a very opulent tips. It's very opulent tips. <laughs> the scene also like her hair, her her giant hair. I find when I Google images from this movie to just look at her every image result is like when she's looking the kind of neatest and smallest version Mm. of herself in the film and what I love is frizzy big messy Susan yes the scene when the rabbi drops her home and leaves her on the doorstep the lighting in that scene is like one of the most beautiful things on earth there's like a halo behind her her giant head of curls that is like so beautiful. Oh, it's really, it's so fab. Like when the scene where she meets uh, Eric Christopher Guest for the first time after Anne's wedding, where she had to take the photos, of course she did. Uh, and they have this beautiful little like tete a tete, like when it's so funny perfect and flirting. so sweet. It is perfect flirting. Um, and she's drinking red wine out of a glass with ice in it. Very, very Diane Keaton. It's um, it's such a perfect moment. But yeah, Melanie Mayron is one of those actors who's been in quite a few things, but never kind of fully got the recognition, I think, that she deserved. Um, she was, of course, in 30-something, which I grew up watching when I was too young, and she was perfect in that. Um, but now she's a mostly a TV director, so she mm. directed a lot of the Julie, ju- that Julie show that we watched. Oh, yeah, Julie, Julia? Julia, the Julia Childs TV show. She directed a lot of that and now she is directing um, The Serpent Queen for stars, which I have not seen any of, but uh, she is one of my favourite people on Instagram, partly because she loves poodles, BL. Stop. She loves poodles. And do you know (gasps) why she loves poodles? Because she thinks they're very smart. Of course they are. So this is perfect for the poodle app, but also because Jack Lemmon introduced her to poodles and she's never looked back. Stop. So I am like a big, big time Mayron fan. She also runs her own with her family, with her dad, I think. She runs like this apothecary online called Mayron's Goods, which we can link to. So you can buy like a lip balm, you can buy your bath salts, etc. Oh my God, does the Seven Bells know about this? (laughs) You got paging that we should let them know. Paging Audrey Gelman, she would she would know. It would be on her radar. Well, maybe. I who knows? Maybe she doesn't find the the you know the labels chic enough or something. We don't know. They'll do some kind of like female cent female centric tincture workshop or something. <laughs> the Seven Bells. I wonder if the Seven Bells is stocking um, the apple, the like baby baby food from Baby Boom yet. Probably not upstate enough. 
Probably not. Probably not. It's really hitting that tourist demo. Mm. Um, Melanie Mayron also, my only thing to add to that, that great little bio is um, she appeared in Jane the Virgin a handful of times when Jane went to school to be a writer, very Anne. um, She had a, like, what is it called? Like a, not a professor, like an advisor, and she was assigned this advisor, played by Melanie Mayron. The character of Jane was writing a romance novel, something that this professor character explicitly hated. So, like, hates the genre. Jane had to work really hard to impress her. She was, like, a feminist lecturer, didn't want to read about women falling in love. It was, like, incredible. Oh, I've never seen that show, but now I feel like I'm going to. There's a... I'm going to say there's a lot of episodes and they're like 45 minute ones. All right. Maybe I'll just look up the ones that Melanie Mayron's in it and watch yeah, those. I, was, I really liked it, but I watched it over the course of many, many years and at one point thought it was over, but it still had like two seasons left. <laughs> anyway, I'm a completist, so of course I've watched them all. But I'm, yeah, I'm shocked you haven't watched them three times, to be honest. Knowing you, you don't have time. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I love yeah. it when you give me permission <laughs> not to watch things. It's my favourite thing and my favourite thing. Skip it, doll. And we've talked a little bit about how, you know, the grieving period of that, like losing a best friend or the just the major change or the rift that happens when one friend moves on to do something and the other one doesn't. But it is also sort of uh, in the relationship between Susan and Eric at the same time that like Eric's uh, girlfriend, like he still has all these paintings by his girlfriend in the apartment and it really upsets Susan. And there's this Mm. great line in it where I really love and uh, Eric sort of accuses her of like, like, I know you hate her. And she says, I never met the woman in my life. It's her ghost I'm not too thrilled about. I really Oof. love that. It's like, yeah, that this is spectre hanging over the relationship of like all the previous relationships that like, you know, um, baggage is coming through. I really love it. Of course. And like um, that makes so much sense because he would also not be articulating, but the spectre of Anne hangs over their relationship. Like they only met because she like dragged herself to this party after the wedding because she was like in mourning over losing or feeling like she'd lost her best friend. Totally. And I feel that that is... Susan as well to Martin that Martin would totally think that uh he would not be too thrilled about the ghost of Susan hanging over over Anne all the time he very sweetly kind of he gets his um his little redemption art kind of at the end he shows up to Susan's art show and like alerts her to the fact that that Anne went up to the country alone and so Susan you know they reconcile after quite a quite a big fight that I really want to talk about um together at the end which is like this this movie is a love story and so that's like the run to the airport kind of moment you know mm-hmm. okay let's talk about that fight okay it's sad it makes me sad <laughs> it's beautiful um it's beautiful so we've we've been watching the two of them untethered from each other in like very specific ways you know they were one another's person and now Anne has kind of chosen this other person but expects Susan to be there when she calls Anne's language over the movie changes in in tiny ways you know like she starts saying to Susan things like 
we've been calling you for days instead mm. of I've been calling you for days, which is like a tiny little like really heavy loaded thing to say to a friend. Um, and as the viewer, you're watching Anne is really struggling in the house, in her marriage, as a mother, not being able to write and also thinking about going to school because she doesn't have Susan there to bounce off. She doesn't have a sounding board or someone whose opinion she respects. And in the city, Susan is just imagining that Anne is happy and content, has someone around all the time as she's trying to find people to hang out with. She's calling people on the phone to go see a movie. She is just alone um, and filling in the space that Anne left. And the two of them obviously are only thinking that the other has has more and that they are at a loss and then it all comes to a head. Susan goes up to the house. It's the time when Eric was supposed to join her and then he stays behind in the city. He's kind of a bit of a shithead. Um, it's a very brief scene but it's so perfectly written. Susan accuses Anne of leaving her and Anne in response kind of says, I didn't leave you, I got married, and she thinks that that's not the same but for for the Susans of the world they're like that's we're saying the same thing you got married you left you chose to leave me mm. um and this kind of this platonic marriage that we had together um and it's this big conversation about like commitment and relationships and also like like they're both saying that they treasure the closeness that they had with one another and that it was like impossible to just choose it. Susan's almost saying like, choose me. Um, and Anne is kind of feeling like it was one of us, one of us had to do this first, I think. Yeah, it is like a really seismic shift in their relationship. And I think like a lot of people would be able to, I don't know, see themselves in it and see their own relationships. I mean, it definitely brought up a lot for me when I, you know, every time I rewatch it, um, you know, I think about all the different changes I've had in different friendships and um, and how, yeah, for one person it's like I didn't change, but to the other person you're like, well, no, it, the situation has changed. It's Perhaps it's not you don't feel different, but definitely mm. the like the landscape of the friendship or the relationship has definitely changed. Mm, yeah, I think it was important for me to watch this at the time that I did, like being in my mid-20s, being always like thinking of myself as like the single friend amidst friends who were settling down or dating a lot or buying property or having babies and all of these like, you know, big life markers that in comparison, if you're only measuring those things, it can feel like you're at a disadvantage but of course, Anne is also thinking of like the artistic side of things and like the fact that Susan has freedom mm. and that's something that she really envies because in her marriage and her new life and with a baby, she doesn't have the same freedoms to commit to her art that Susan does. And she sees that as like something so valuable that she's lost, whereas Susan just thinks that she's lost a friend and she's lost a companion and Anne has only gained all these things. And that fight scene really, it articulated so many things that I think are just, they're never said in friendships when these kinds of shifts happen. You know, Susan tells Anne, the only time I see you alone is when Martin's busy. And that's something that I feel like, you know, a lot of us feel about our friends who, who get into like very deep, close, new romantic relationships. But you kind of can't say it because 
the yeah. romantic relationship is supposed to come first. I know. It's something I think about all the time as like someone in a long, you know, relationship as well of trying not to be that person um, for friends. And I probably am that person. It's probably someone listening to this right now going like, okay, bitch. But, you know, like it is something that I think about that I'm like conscious of, I suppose. Um, and I think, you know, like this idea of this film completely exploring the microcosm of like female friendships was, you know, like now it's like, you know, we've had like Broad City and we've had like girls, of course, and a lot of like Nicole Holocene's films, you know, focus on this or um, Greta Gerwig's Frances Hart in particular has like, you know, it sort of starts off with like this sort of very similar thing of like the breakdown of a relationship or friendship between uh, Francis and her best friend who is played by Mickey Sumner, Sting's daughter. I haven't seen her in it. Oh, yeah. In a minute. Anyway. She's doing an Anita Skinner. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but, yeah, like we have and like all of those directors also have explicitly said that they are have been influenced by Claudia Weil and in particular this film. But at the time it was kind of a landmark subject. Like, yeah, of course this film did well in Europe and America was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, because also that like it's it's a it's also making a statement about like tradition versus like I don't know, contemporary values. Susan chooses her art and her career, whereas Anne, you know, you get the sense that she and Martin haven't been together all that long before they get married. Um we don't see him until like I said after they're back from their honeymoon. Um and you don't get the sense that he and Susan have spent very much time together either. Um, and then again, yeah, very soon after there's a baby and then potentially another pregnancy and there's a house upstate and all of these things, like it all happens so quickly, which feels very old fashioned. Mm. And in the seventies, I feel like, you know, it's probably, there's still that bridge between like, old-fashioned America and, like, you know, a post-60s, post-revolution, like, heading into the 80s kind of values and lifestyles, especially in New York. Yeah. I dare say, BL, this is an actual perfect film. I don't think we I, – I don't know if any of our – I love all the films that we've done poodles about, but I don't know if any of them are, like, perfect films, whereas this one it's, like – the politics of it are interesting. The, like, casting is amazing. It looks very beautiful. It's written so, like, it's such, like, a particular voice to this writing, It's which I love. Um, like, mm-hmm. it's such an idiosyncratic script. Um, there's just, there's no scene I would want to excise. It's all perfect. It's literally, yeah, it's top to bottom, 100%, five stars, perfect film. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's rare, right? We're a regular Siskel and Ebert over here just <laughs> loving stuff. Thumbs up. <laughs> I guess, I mean, for a perfect film, once you've seen it, you just want more and more and more. Um, I've got a couple of see-alsos. I mean, we've already mentioned, you know, the works of, like, Nicole Holofcena, Greta Goig. Uh It's My Turn by uh, Claudia Wilde from 1980. And Crossing Delancey by Joan Micklin-Silver from 1988. Um, something that came up recently in another, see also for uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, but I'm going to do it again. It's High Art by Lisa Toledenko because it has mm. these kind of 
beautiful shots of like a photographer taking photos of in this time of her lover like on a bed but it's like gave me that vibe um but also something else um is you mentioned that I have an artwork from this film um it's one of my very favorite things uh it's by Nicholas Smith um a Sydney-based artist fantastic artist who often looks at particular films um or the works of a particular artist or photographer and then paints stills from their work. And she's done some very beautiful uh, exhibitions based around the work of Chantal Ackerman. Um, but in 2018, she did a whole exhibition based on girlfriends and uh, I was very lucky to receive one. It's a very beautiful uh, sequence when Anne and Susan are at the bar talking and it's just like, it's the most beautiful painting. It's so gorgeous. Oh, I'm, it's your possession that I am the most jealous of. It's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Anyway, I love uh, Nicola's work. So we will link her work in the show notes. Um, But that also brings me to a C also for me. Uh, that maybe you or a listener can help with. I have been trying to track down the perfect blue and white striped shirt for all of my life. Uh, I love the one that Anne wears in the bar scene. I think I have bought every blue and white striped shirt available on this planet, both new and vintage. But if anyone who sees this film and is like, I know, I know where to get that shirt, please let me know. Mm, okay. I've, I mean, um, my wardrobe is literally full of blue and white striped shirts. You know this about me, BL. Yeah. I have so, like, I probably have maybe 14 of them, but then mm. none of them are like that and per- perfection. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, this is a, this is a job for us. Okay. <laughs> uh, my last thing also for girlfriends is this great piece by Claudia Weil on 1970s Hollywood sleaze uh, in The Guardian. It's a really excellent piece. Thanks so much for listening to this poodle. We really hope that you'll seek out girlfriends, even if it means waiting for a DVD to arrive from eBay like I am right now. Uh, If you liked the film, tell us what you thought. Share this episode with your friends. Leave us a five-star rating and a little review on Apple Podcasts and um, tag us on Instagram at See Also Podcast if you've got anything to say about this episode or the film or how much you love hearing us talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and if you have an idea uh, for a poodle or a film that you would really like us to cover, please DM us uh, on Instagram at See Also Podcast. Thanks as ever to Samuel Hodge for our imagery and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.